The Ten Commandments are still held by many to be a wise and moral code that we should respect and honor. But what is their significance today, and what can they teach us about the heart of God? Find out today on the Central Baptist Podcast. Good morning. The scripture reading today is Exodus 20, verse 7, followed by Matthew 6, verses 5 to 9. Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And Matthew 6, verses 5 to 9. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Like every one of you, I have, um, I have some pet peeves, things that bug me. I'm going to share a little of my humanity with you this morning. I don't understand people who are late for things. coffee meetings at Tim Hortons or whatever, it doesn't matter. Some years ago when I was at a church, many of you know me from, from Gordon Head, Lambert Park Church, a guy came in and said to me, can you tell me when your 10 o'clock service starts? If I had been called on to write the list of the Christian qualities that we find in what we call the fruit of the spirit. Do you remember what they are? Love, joy, peace, patience. I wouldn't have written patience. I would have written punctuality. <laughs> then, frankly, I wouldn't need as much patience. Um, it's interesting that the New Testament Greek has got two words for a lot of, a lot of things. It's got two different words for patience. Got to get this. One word is always, always used for patience in difficult circumstances. The word is often translated endurance in the New Testament. Another word for patience is always, always used for patience with difficult people. Now think about it in your own life. Those are two different kinds of responses you make. Difficult circumstances or difficult people. They need different kinds and qualities of patience. When I grew up in Glasgow, one of my jobs when I was a student university through several summers, I was what in Britain they would call a lorry driver. I was a truck driver. In fact, after a couple of years, I was involved. I was the trainer for other truck drivers or lorry drivers to know the routes that they would be on. And I got to tell you, truck drivers have terrible Terrible language habits. They really do. 
And when new guys were put in my cab so I could treat some of the roots and stuff, the, the boss would say to them, don't you swear in his cab. He's going to be a minister. But I still get, oh, I still don't like it when I hear people say, oh, God, Jesus Christ. You never hear anybody say, oh, Buddha. Or O Muhammad. You just don't. So as John read for us this morning in Exodus 7. Let me reread it. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now at first glance, this would seem to be a command against swearing. A call for us from God to kind of clean up our language. To ask for less swearing from all of us. Christian, non-Christian, whatever. I'm going to suggest to you this morning takes us way, way beyond that. When the book of Proverbs says to us, a good name is better than riches, it's talking about the essential dimension of our character. Our name is our character. Our name is our reputation. So when the commandments talk about the name of God, it's talking about the character of God. His name, and especially by, by those, by us, who say we know him and we love him, his name is not to be misused. His name is not to be misrepresented. His name is not to be misunderstood. Because you see, his name is his character. It is who he is. And this theme of the name of God is critical all the way through the Bible. It's one way in which God tells us who he is. So let me give you a brief summary this morning out of the Old Testament. This is your Hebrew lesson for this morning. When we first meet God, we know him as Elohim. In Hebrew, I am ending always is plural. You get that in cherubim and seraphim. Um, um, Elohim is the God we meet in Genesis 1.1. It is how God introduces himself to us. He is the God who creates in our English Bible, it's usually just written as God. But as we move a little closer, in fact, as God moves a little closer to us, really, his name moves from Elohim to Yahweh, or sometimes we call it Jehovah. And used about 7,000 times in the Bible. And it's always written as four letters, Y-H-W-H. I don't know if that's up or not. Is it? No, it's not. It's written as four letters, Y-H-W-H. That's called the Tetragrammaton, four letters. You understand it was regarded too holy even to be written. And so we came to that space in text. There simply was a space left. There's a pause. People didn't even say it. People understood that this is where you inserted the name of Jehovah. In our English Bible, it is always written, if you notice, as L-O-R-D, and they're all capitals. All capitals, all the time. So Yahweh is the God who relates to us. He moves closer to us, it seems, a little more than Elohim does. And in the text of Genesis chapter 2, there's a change as we move from Elohim, the God of Christ, to Yahweh. The God now is the one who relates to us. And you can add other words to Jehovah. It says, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Taken from the story of Genesis 22, where the Lord provides a sacrifice in place of Isaac. 
And an important dialogue takes place between Moses and God when God appears to Moses in a bush that burned was not burned up. Let me read it. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what will I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. The I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name from which I'm to be remembered from generation to generation. We move to another name. In Hebrew, this is the word Adonai. Perhaps understood best in English by the word sir. Now, if you notice in your Bible, it is L-O-R-D, but only the L is capitalized this time. O-R-D is in small letters. Earlier in our opening worship times, we sang a section from Psalm 1. And that distinction between Yahweh and Adonai is picked up in Psalm 1. I think I've got it on the screen coming up now. Is it? There it is. O Lord, notice that's all capitals. Our Lord, that's not simply a repetition. That's now a different word than Hebrew. It is O Yahweh or Adonai. How majestic is your name in all the earth. We also meet God as El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. You find him in Genesis 17 when he meets Abraham. The point is... God's name is important. By his name, he is telling us who he is and how he moves towards us. His name is his personality, his character, his identity. And the people who say that they know his name have to live in a way which honors his name. He trusts us with the knowledge of who he is. And he does not want us to violate that trust. So his name is how he reveals himself. And the climax of his name comes to us in the person of Jesus, whose name is Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. We no longer have to look to try to find God in the burning bush. We now come and we see Jesus, see God in the person of Jesus. The Word became flesh. And we will see this morning that Jesus teaches us a new name for God. He calls him his Father. So it is those who know the name and the character of God who say, don't squander his name. Don't betray his character. Rather, we are called each day to talk and walk and live in a way which honors this God we say we know. So what might it look like to honor and not misuse his name? Let me give you this morning what I often call four broad headings. There are so many other ways to unpack this. And I'm acutely aware this morning that this leaves so, so much behind. But let's say, first of all, that using God's name calls for honesty in worship. Honesty in worship, what we've been coming to do this morning. The book of James, by the way, the book of James in the New Testament parallels in a lot with Proverbs in the Old Testament. Those books kind of go together. The book of James reminds us about the power of the tongue. James chapter 3. No man, which means obviously no person, can tame the tongue. 
It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, James says to us, we can praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we can curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth, says James, comes praise and cursing. So we can praise God. We can curse people. And as we say, we can do that in the same breath. I think it says to us that we need at times to stop and think about the words we're singing when we stand to sing in worship. When quite frankly, at the same time, our minds can wander all over, all over the place. If you know the words of a song up by heart, you can be thinking about yesterday. You can also be thinking about what you're going to have for lunch, planning the week ahead. We pray, we give thanks for meals, but what if we're not really thankful and just going through the motions? Jesus challenged the Pharisees for doing exactly that. Again, part of my humanity, I've come to the conclusion that I really cannot give thanks for liver. That's an act of hypocrisy for me. I've decided to add to the list. Um, I really can't give thanks for porridge. That's one of the reasons I immigrated from Scotland. I just, I just couldn't handle any more porridge. But seriously, there are times that we may need to be more careful about what we sing and what we pray. Because the integrity of God is at stake. The next time we pick up an old hymn like Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Think about saying the lines. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Do we really mean that as we sing it? Perhaps sometimes we may need to be quiet. Next Sunday morning is a communion service, and I just remind us that there may be times not to take communion. Because there is some unresolved issue in our heart as we've come. Maybe there's some, some unsettled relationship. And we're just going through the motions of communion. And taking the bread and wine is just not enough. Worship demands honesty. It does not matter what other people think. It demands honesty from us. Many years ago, when I was pastoring in the church in Calgary, part of the service for a while, we had a sharing time. People would stand up and, and share a need with the congregation. And I would often ask um, someone else to pray for that need. People needed food and needed to look for a new apartment, all kinds of things. People stood and they shared needs. And I often asked the deacon or someone to, to pray for them. Um, and so one night, I remember very clearly, I, a lady stood up with a need that she she brought to the church. Now that's one of our deacons. His name was Jim, an old guy, Jim of a man. Jim, I said, would you stand up and pray for that need we've just heard? So he stood up and paused for a minute and said, no. And then he went on and said, I'd rather not because Florence, that's his wife who was sitting right beside him, Florence and I had an argument on our way down to church, and that's not resolved yet, and I'd rather not pray, and sat down. What would you do with that? You were in charge of the service. I got to tell you, that took honesty from that guy. I think most of us would have faked it. 
I think we really would. I think every pastor I know would just have faked it because we, enough, we know enough to fake it. But Jim didn't do that. So I asked someone else to pray and we went on the service. You see, in ministry, Jesus kept his strongest challenge for the Pharisees. He challenged them again and again and again to see that they were experts in the appearance of worship. They knew how to go through the motions, but they were far from a true heart in that. They knew all the words, but their inner heart was far from God. And so, as was read through this morning, Jesus said to them, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by everybody. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they'll be heard because of their many words. In worship, we are invited to meet a holy God who has stepped and come close to us. We are invited to hold up his name, his character, his very being in worship. So we should worship really with great carefulness. Our worship should have, must have, deep integrity. We cannot say and sing and pray what is not true for us. That demands honesty in worship, folks. And it demands honesty for God's sake. Using God's name calls for authenticity in daily life. Daily life. I do not expect non-Christians to live like Christians. We shouldn't really be surprised or shocked at what we read on the news or see on television some nights or hear from people. I simply do not expect non-Christians to live like Christians. Why should they? They do not have the life-giving power of the Spirit of God in them. They do not live transformed lives. But I expect, and we should all expect, Christians to live like Christians. Isn't that fair? First Peter says to us, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be, and he gives us a list, a murderer, a thief, any other kind of criminal, even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. There's that idea again. You know that the term Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. It really was a name given to outsiders, to these Christ follower kinds of people. We are to represent in a faithful way by the way in which we live. This God, this Jesus, whose name that we say we know. If he's holy, we're called to be holy. If he is just, we're called to be just. If he is patient, we're called to be patient. Profanity is not just about how we speak. It is about how we live. When we fail to reflect the character of God, we are really swearing we are being profane out of our lives. And if we say that we know God and we're Christians, then for God's sake, let's live like one. And using God's name gives us authority and ministry. The name of God is the only power, the only authority in these three main areas. First of all, salvation. 
access to his salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. We believe as a church that every person needs to come to a point of salvation. And the name that we call people to is the name of Jesus. We are not here really to lift up the name of Central Baptist Church. We are here to lift up the name of Jesus. The power and the authority for ministry lies only in the name of Jesus. That's why we baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. It's the authority for ministry among us. Jesus says again, who are two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Now, I'll be honest, we usually quote that verse when less people showed up for the meeting than we'd hoped for. Isn't that true? We were hoping for 20 people and eight show up. We say, well, it doesn't matter because when two or three gather together, that's fine. That's not what this verse is about at all. Let's not use it like that. It is about the authority of God and the presence of Christ being with us when we meet in his name. Whether there's two or three or 200, 300, doesn't matter. We must live up to that. Again, Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, says Jesus, I never knew you. I never knew who you were. People say that they can do all kinds of things in the name of God. It would almost seem at times that he's some kind of superstar to endorse our commercials. It is an awesome responsibility to say that we're doing something in the name of God. We ought to walk with great carefulness when we attach God's name to our efforts. It is not some kind of endorsement. It is the basis upon which we do his ministry. And we ask for it with power. And we must handle his name with humility. And we must not take his name in vain. It's also the authority and authenticity for our prayer. Prayers. We usually end our prayers by saying something like, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Now let me ask you, is that just some kind of formula we've, we've learned and we just tag on to the end of prayers? Just so that people know we're finished? Or maybe to ask in Jesus' name sounds like having some kind of blank, blank check that God's obligated to order, to honor. I told you there was two different Greek words for patience. Well, it's helpful to know that there's two different Greek words for to ask. When ask is used to pray in the Gospel of John, they're this way. When an equal talks to an equal, I got that up, please, thank you. For instance, when a doctor talks to a doctor, a pastor talks to a doctor, a pastor, it's really like an equal talking to an equal. When Jesus says, I will ask the Father, the word that John picks for him in his gospel is a word of an equal talking to an equal. You got that? He's on the same level as it were with God. There's an equality. There's, there's a, it's a very subtle proof that John has for us about the equality of the son Jesus with the father. But when Jesus in the gospel of John says, and you will ask the father, it's a different word that's used. 
It's a word when someone who is, I only can use the phrase lower down, talking to someone who is higher up. You got me there? So when he says, we can ask the Father, the word changes. It's now a word for the lesser, asking the greater. And our asking, you see, is all kinds of mixed motives and agendas in our asking. And our prayers need to be purified. So John's got this great way of doing that for us in the word to ask. Jesus talks the equal to the equal. We talk as someone who's leaning to someone much higher than us. Isn't that neat? Isn't that neat? I think those things are great. I'm fascinated by them. Because in a very, very gentle, subtle way, John is teaching us again that Jesus is on the same level with God. When he prays, he asks the Father. And he knows the mind and the heart of the Father. Because he shared the same essence of the Father. But for most of us, our prayers still have a lot of maturing to go through. We're still learning what it means to pray with authority. And yet when we pray, when we know with certainty that we ask in the name of Jesus, who knows the heart of the Father. That's the point. One last thing. Using God's name invites us to spiritual intimacy with God the Father. I think there's a lot of people today who... Um, they would say, they'll tell you, neighbors in your condominium, apartment block, people at work, they say, oh yeah, I believe in God. I believe in God. He's kind of the big guy. He's kind of the man upstairs. Or they know him only as Elohim, the God it creates. But when you read the Gospels, Jesus brings a new, more intimate name for God. Jesus is the only one who introduces him to us as the Father. Do you know that nowhere in the entire literature of ancient Judaism do we find God addressed as Abba, Father? This is too close. This is too intimate. So when Jesus uses the name Father to describe God and his relationship to us, Jesus is opening up a whole new aspect of his name a whole new aspect of his character, his personality to us. He's calling on us to know the Father more than ever before. So when we pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. And as God moved closer to us than ever before in the life of Jesus, so Jesus invites us to draw closer to God than ever before. And he does this by giving God a new name for us, a name which is never really used to describe or explain God. Jesus simply introduced him as God the Father. Jesus says, I and my Father are one. And when Jesus knelt and prayed in the garden and poured out his soul and cried in the shadow of the cross, he did not call out just to Elohim or to Yahweh or even to El Shaddai, the almighty God, who could come and save him. He called him his father. He turned his face to the one he knew as father, and he did not only kneel before the creator of the universe, he knelt before his father. And Jesus prays, my father, if it be possible, 
may this cup be taken from me. And yet, it's not as I will, but as you will. And that is an intimate prayer that calls for great trust to place his life into the hands of his Father. And it's Jesus who passes on this new intimate relationship with God when he gives us this name for him. It is Jesus who invites us to know him as the Father. Paul says, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. If this morning in your life you know God only is the big guy upstairs, may I invite you in a moment as we sing to close, to open your heart and to know him as Father. You see, we know God best of all when he's more than Elohim, more than Jehovah, more than Adonai, more than El Shaddai. We know God best when we know him as Father. Jesus says, if you'd known me, you would have known the Father. And especially when he went to the cross, Jesus was accurately, accurately representing the deep love of the Father for us. There was not one time in his life when he failed to honor the name of the Father in his life. And Jesus leaves us with a mar marvelous promise, you know, in John 14. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Folks, it's, it's as though we're almost taken even further than the end of creation. Beyond the edge of the universe. Far beyond the limits of space exploration. Far beyond the boundaries of outer space. And we're welcomed into the intimacy and into the warmth of the Father's house and the Father's heart. And so can you feel the intimacy of the heart of Jesus? As he teaches us to pray to God. And we call him by his name. And this morning we call him our father. You stand. Worship team is going to come. So we close and I would invite you to join me. And we say together what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Together. Our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Let's go back over that again. Come on, church. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Podcast.